0: Before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a minute to talk supplements. As you guys probably know, these days there are so many supplements on the market offering different benefits, but fish oil is one of the ones you'll hear about the most, and for good reason. Pretty much everyone, regardless of age or activity level, can benefit from taking a fish oil supplement daily. That's because 75% of Americans don't get enough omega-3s, the main component of fish oil, in their diets. Omax 3 is one of the cleanest fish oil brands on the market, and now they're offering MBG listeners a free box at tryomax.com slash mindbodygreen. Omega-3s can do everything from improve mental performance and boost mood to protect against coronary heart disease and promote better athletic performance. But you want to make sure you're getting it in its purest form. You need to be really selective when it comes to choosing a fish oil supplement, because rancid oils full of fillers can actually do more harm than good. Omax 3 is obsessive about sourcing and production, and their product is 93.9% pure omega-3s. To put that number into perspective, they encourage consumers to try what they call the freezer test challenge. Basically, if you freeze any other omega-3 supplement, it will get cloudy because of all the filler. But an OMAX 3 soft gel remains clear. It's that pure. We've partnered with OMAX to give you guys an insane deal. You'll get a box for free when you head over to tryomax.com slash green. That's tryomax.com slash Green. OMAX 3 comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you have plenty of time to try it and really feel the OMAX difference for yourself. My wife Colleen and I prioritize eating healthy, but between running our own business and spending time with our daughter Ellie, we don't always have time to go grocery shopping and cook all the delicious plant-based meals we want to eat, which is why I'm so glad that Hungry Root is sponsoring today's podcast episode. Founded in 2015, Hungry Root delivers healthy convenience to your door, making it easy to eat healthy when you're super busy. Meals only take 10 minutes to prepare, and each one includes fresh-cut vegetables, mouth-watering sauces, and there's so much variety. They have 75 different dishes, so we definitely never get bored. Even better, all of their meals are low in sodium and preservatives and sugar-free. The only issue? We're guilty of hitting their almond chickpea cookie dough just a little too hard. Hey, what do you expect? It's delicious. Sound good to you? Use code MBG to get $25 off your first two deliveries for a total savings of $50. Hey everyone, I hope you don't mind the brief interruption, but I wanted to take a minute to share something I'm really excited about right now. In today's world, many people simply view food as sustenance, entertainment, or even worse, as the enemy. But that's not how it should be and definitely not how it has to be. What people often forget is that food fuels us, nourishes us, and is one of the most powerful and not to mention affordable pathways to our greatest well-being. That is why we here at MindBodyGreen, along with some of the world's top functional health experts, have created the first ever functional nutrition program, a comprehensive training built to help you discover how you can unlock the healing powers of food featuring the techniques of renowned experts like Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Frank Littman, Dr. Vincent Pedre, Kelly Levesque, and more. By enrolling in this one-of-a-kind opportunity, you'll learn how you can heal your gut, improve your digestion, and fight inflammation, how you can use food to enhance the health of your brain and fight autoimmune disease, how to heal your thyroid, slow the aging process, and pick the perfect supplement to complement your functional nutrition habits. Plus, lifestyle changes you can start making today to prevent disease and promote lung Essentially, you'll learn how to heal the body through the power of food so that you can feel rejuvenated and more alive than you ever thought possible. On top of all of this, as a student in the program, you'll receive total access to over 160 video lessons, live office hours with all instructors at various points throughout the program, exclusive self-paced content to deepen your functional nutrition knowledge, including an array of thorough study guides, writing assignments, and quizzes, discussion boards to interact with other students, and the Mind Body Green Functional Nutrition Guide Certification, the MBG FNG, upon completion of the program, and so much more. Now, just because we're so excited about this program and so excited for you to start mastering the concept of functional food, we're offering you an exclusive deal. If you sign up today, you can get this comprehensive first-of-its-kind program for $600 off the original price. So don't wait. To sign up for this exclusive deal today, go to mindbodygreen.com slash unlock. That's mindbodygreen.com slash unlock. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this exciting news. And we hope that you'll join us by making the MindBodyGreen Functional Nutrition Program part of your journey toward optimal well-being. Hey, everybody. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you all for listening to the podcast and to say that we want to listen to you. So if you have any questions any dream guests, we are all ears. I would love to hear from you. So ask me anything and stay tuned for the answers or your dream guests on this very podcast. Send your questions to podcast at mindbodygreen.com. That's podcast at mindbodygreen.com. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks so much. And let's go back to the podcast. Eric Oberholzer is the co-founder and CEO of Tender Greens, a fine casual restaurant concept that started back in 2006 in Culver City, California. Tender Greens is one of my favorite up and coming restaurant brands where you can find amazing, delicious farm to table meals, but at accessible prices. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So let's go back to the idea for Tender Greens. How did this all get started?
1: Yeah, it was back in 2003 in LA, and I was the chef at Shutter's on the Beach, and at the time, um, really feeding the one percent—a uh, <laughs> percentage that I wasn't one percent of, of the one percent. That's shutters. Right, exactly. And and my entire career was cooking for for that crowd. Uh, we used to call it the newlywed and nearly dead crowd. They <laughs> we were the ones who could afford it afford to eat with us. And, in Los Angeles at the time, uh, had very expensive A-list-centric restaurants that were good, but too expensive for anybody. And then this fast food culture, which was accessible, scalable, relatable, um, but for me didn't really fit into my lifestyle and my food identity. So the goal of Tender Greens, the really, the why was to bridge the gap between the farm to fork, slow food, um approach to cooking that i had built or developed uh, after 10 years in in the bay area in san francisco and this scalable brandable affordable approachable um idea of fast food uh, leveraging the systems and and the efficiency of fast food and and essentially bringing the two together slow food and fast food and we found the middle and that was tender greens and, and the, the approach was really just seasonal home cooking. If you had the seasons of Southern California and the home advantage of, of a, of a chef in, in your house.
0: <laughs> and so, so what are some of the restaurants you worked at in the Bay Area?
1: Uh, you know, I started out uh, in Berkeley at Shape of and then... It's kind Brett. of a big deal. Yeah. I didn't even realize how big of a deal it was when <laughs> I was there. Um, it was almost too idyllic. And then I went over to uh, the, Lark, the original Lark Creek Inn with Bradley Ogden in Marine County. After that, Aqua, and then Campton Place. Um, ended up in San Francisco at the Pan the Pacific Hotel as the executive chef before I uh, moved to Santa Monica as the executive chef of Shutters on the Beach, where I met my two partners.
0: So you worked at some big time, like Alice Waters, Bradley Ogden, like, Some serious heavyweights.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was, it was, you know, in the, in, in the Bay Area, I'm from the East Coast, but in the Bay Area that, you know, my, my world went from black and white to, to color, in a sense. Uh, the ingredients were just mind-blowing, you know, I saw my first heirloom tomato, you know, eggplants that were all the different shades of, you know, from white to green to, to, to purple to black, and, the audience of the Bay Area and, and the uh, the relationship between the chefs and the and the farmers and artisans was was something very new to me, and it, it really informed how I approached cooking to uh, to this point.
0: So you're at Shutters and you have the idea for tender greens, and so what happened in between that idea? And opening the first location, which I believe is in Culver City, right? Culver City. So, so, what happened? What what transpired, and how long did that take?
1: Took about three and a half years. Um, at the time, there was nothing that looked or sounded like Tender Greens. Uh, most experts dismissed us and said, "Well, you've never done this before. You've only worked in fine dining. What do you know about uh, this market?" Um, we were sort of plants. Centric, uh, and nobody at the time was really paying attention to plants. <laughs> so this is like two thousand so three, t- two thousand four, and it was just really hard to raise money. So we we talked about tender greens to anybody who would listen, friends, family, colleagues. Um, you know, the few people with money that we knew, which was a, a really short list. And eventually, we we cobbled enough money to get you know together to quit to our jobs and open the first restaurant.
0: And that was in 2006?
1: June 2006, we had, uh, we had about $800 left in the bank. Wow. So it was, (laughs) it was, it was uh, important that the the lines formed day one.
0: So what happened on day one? Was it off to the races? What what was the kinks? The menu? Like what did the menu look like then?
1: It it looked very much like it does today. Um, so we, I think we got that right. Uh, there, there was this, uh, this site called the Daily Candy. I remember uh, Daily Candy. Yeah, yes. so we were featured the first opening day on the Daily Candy, and there was a line from our front door down the block, um, and that line never stopped that day. We had to close at, I think, about 7 o'clock that night because we ran out of food. Uh, next day, the line was bigger, and we made it to to closing time, uh, and we were off to the races, and I, I would say... Two weeks in, we we felt that maybe we were onto something.
0: That's amazing. So, just maybe walk people through. I'm very familiar with Tender Greens. I've been to numerous <laughs> locations, but maybe people who are listening aren't. To just walk through, like what, what 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 can someone expect when they walk in in terms of offering assortment?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, you walk in. There's a menu. Um, it's not a build-your own concept. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a menu. Uh, there are plates, what we call plates. Um, so the proteins might be a, a mid-rare grilled steak, a free-range chicken, um, albacore tuna, uh, falafel, uh, and it comes with two sides. Traditionally it was our mashed potatoes and one of our simple salads. Uh, now we do a lot of ve- you know, different seasonal vegetables and, uh, this really, really good, um, California golden sprouted rice uh, it's really unique um and then we have the big salads the sort of the entree salad so salad niçoise, uh which is very classic um in 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 la we do a, a cob salad we yep. don't do it here really um you gotta do it here it's a it's an la thing i i, I don't
0: know i'm a big maybe i'm a california californian at heart but i love cob salad you
1: know uh, everybody in california seems to love it um we do a Chipotle chicken salad, which is my version of a like a taco salad almost. Yep. And uh, you know, the the idea is that these are all familiar items. These are things that pe- we know people crave. Uh, they like um, sort of California comfort food, if you will, uh, just done with the best possible ingredients and and the uh, thoughtfulness and technique and attention to detail of, of a chef. We have a chef in every every restaurant who whose culinary resume
0: matches mine. So when you mentioned farm-to-fork and people being resistant to that idea, people being investors and said, you know, you can't do this. Like, what, what do you think everyone got wrong about farm-to-fork with a fast-casual concept, if you will?
1: Well, yeah, fast-casual wasn't a thing back then. It wasn't even a category. Um, I think <laughs> what they got wrong was they, did, they, they didn't think we could scale it. You know, there were certainly farm-to-fork restaurants, but they were all expensive. So, right. so there was a um, a cost um, to it, and people didn't believe we could deliver the quality uh, at the price point. And then they didn't think that the supply chain would support the scale we were looking at. Um,
0: like, where was Chipotle around this? I'm guessing, like, who was the, in the market, like, who were the brands that you were thinking about or people would reference? Would it be Chipotle or, like, who was even around? Who uh, was doing something that was sort of similar? Chipotle is so different than what you're doing, yeah. but.
1: Um, yeah, Chipotle was around for sure. Um, again, we, we weren't really students of fast food or, right. or, or, or Chipotle or Panera or any of these. So, we were really just reacting to the blue water between high-end and low-end, slow food and fast food. And as we looked around, you know, Los Angeles, um, you know, there were one-offs. There was Clementine uh, in, in L.A., and it's still just one unit. Um, Earth Cafe, which sure. was one or two units, and they're mostly coffee and yep. and, and baked pastries, goods, baked yeah. goods. So there were really there wasn't a competitive landscape out there. Um, so... So we just did what we, we thought we needed as, as consumers. And unfortunately, there were a lot of other people who were looking for this.
0: So it took three and a half years from idea to first location. And how many, so that was around two, that mid-2006, you said, yeah, and then right. today we're in 2018. How many locations do you have? We
1: just opened our first restaurant up in Massachusetts, and that's uh, Restaurant 28.
0: 28. So what happened in between 1 and 28 over twelve years, were they evenly spread? You know, every six months or so. I am doing trying to do the math in my head, un- unsuccessfully. Or you waited a couple of years, and now the growth. Like, hi, walk me through.
1: Yeah, so our original business plan. Um, our company is called Typ Restaurant Group, which stands for ten year plan. And, <laughs> and that plan was three restaurants each year over the course of ten years in California. Um, it didn't go that way. Uh, so we opened, they never do. So we, uh, we opened Culver City and then, you know, just tried to figure things out, uh, looked around for other locations. We had a chef down in, uh, in San Diego who we had said, if you find a location, we'll open a a Tender Greens down there. He found one. It was one of the worst real estate choices ever, but, (sighs) You know, from that, he, uh, he, he built a, a community. His name's Pete Balasari. And, uh, you know, now we have five restaurants down in San Diego. Uh, and then it, it took some time and we opened West Hollywood and Hollywood, I think in year three. Um, and then we started to pick up a little bit of velocity, uh, opening three restaurants in a year, finally in, 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 uh, year four. And then once we had infrastructure, and we had the systems, it was, it was a little bit easier to open, you know, four or five, you know, over, over the course of a year.
0: What was your work life balance like back then?
1: Uh, it was really only work back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the life of a, of an entrepreneur in the early days is, um, is not that glamorous. Uh, there was no money, you know, maxed out credit cards, uh, negative bank balances, 18-hour uh, days, but you know you're living out your your dream every day, and and you're servicing that 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 dream and that mission, and and it it sort of fuels you through those those tough times. And also, I think there's a power in partnership. You know, having Matt and David there to uh, to celebrate, you know, the successes and and uh, suffer together through some of the challenges was really important because I think if you do it alone, it's, uh, it's much harder.
0: Sure. Did you ever have moments in the process where you said, shit, I don't know if we're going to make it Um, or why am I doing this? Or you start questioning things and like, what am I doing?
1: Yeah. there, There was this great moment in time where, uh, early on, you know, we, we, we were just getting crushed and we were learning every day and, Uh, we would, me, Matt, and David would, would uh, take turns. You know, one would close out the bank, the other would hose down the kitchen, and the other would, uh, scrub the mats. We were the night cleaners also. And, and I went outside to check in David. I had finished wiping down the kitchen, and he was out in the alleyway. He was soaked with, you know, floor mat muck and water. And he looks up, up at me and he says, wow, this is a long way from Shutters on the beach. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and, and I, uh, I grabbed the mat and held it while he, uh, he hosed it down and, and we sort of finished out the night. But, you know, I think having those moments together and suffering together, um, and laughing about it and then having a couple beers, uh, gets you through those, those moments.
0: Sure. So what do you think are some of the pitfalls that Every business is hard, obviously. But when you talk about the restaurant business, it's like, oh, whoa, that—that's a really hard business, and and like the the numbers of the the success rates are not favorable, Mm -hmm. and and it's just—it's a very tough business. Specifically, what's going on in real estate right now in New York and L.A.? It's like, geez, you know, great. And I'll segue to Danny Meyer. Um, one of my favorite lines from Danny Meyer. I read his book "Setting the Table." Is every great restaurant starts with a great lease? Yeah, not a lot of great leases out these days. Yeah. So, wh- what are some of the pitfalls that entrepreneurs or who are starting a restaurant or fast casual that has a physical space? Like, wh- where do things typically go wrong?
1: Well, real estate's one. Yeah. Um, the other would be uh, operating capital. You know, oftentimes in the early days, you might be Undercapitalized. They said we had eight hundred dollars in the bank. If we hadn't been busy from the get-go, it would have been a short movie. Um, I think you know the budgets. You know construction costs are insane. So if if you budget construction at a million dollars, then you should expect to do million three. If you think it's going to take three months to build, expect it to be five months. So I think everybody underestimates the cost and the time to to get a restaurant open. And then once you're, you're open, you know, there are a whole series of things that can go c- completely wrong. Um, but just getting the, the doors open is, is one of the biggest challenges.
0: And then you've got food quality, customer service experience. Everything. All the intangibles, which, you know, all the other stuff, you have the greatest lease in the world, but if no one comes in to buy buy the product and doesn't love it, then it doesn't matter. What do you do? Right. And so what do you, what have you seen in, you know, in the industry, in your business over the course of, I guess it's 12, 15 years in terms of like what people want when they walk into a Tender Greens and and where the trends are going?
1: I think, well, the good thing is I think we've always been ahead of trend. So what, we wanted as chef consumers uh, 15 years ago is what now the broader market is demanding um, food with integrity to take a line out of chipotle uh, you know people want to know where their food comes from uh, we do a portlandia dive into every ingredient <laughs> so that um, you know our guests can come in with a degree of confidence knowing that we've vetted every every ingredient.
0: I love that Portland Portlandia. Too. <laughs> I th-
1: I think they want uh you know they they I believe people still want indulgent food mm-hmm. and indulgent flavors um but that also match their lifestyle. So I think the relationship with with uh food in America is shifting from one that's antagonistic, you know, sort of the dietary mm-hmm. um, approach to food to one that's a little bit more uh, balanced. Um, and it's okay to have a little bit of animal protein and a little bit of sugar and a little bit of this and that, just not too much. Mm-hmm. And more and more uh, I think we're seeing both in the chef community and in in, in the broader market that uh, people are leading with plants, that you yeah. have a plant-forward lifestyle, not exclusive. But uh, plan forward, and and again, I think we've always been ahead of trend on that, um, just because that's how we've lived our lives. Uh, and they want it affordable, and they want it on demand. They they pick up their remote control to the world and want whatever they want where they are at a price that matches their their budget. Um, so the collision of technology. And and food and the restaurant business is is one that makes it really dynamic and exciting, but also challenging to navigate.
0: What trends that you see are you specifically excited about?
1: Well, I, um, you know, in terms of food trends, I, I really, really love the uh, the demand and the emphasis on on the local. Um, let's call it organic or, or sustainable ingredients. I also really love that chefs are finally treating plants um, with uh, with with a lot of creativity, so that they're they're delicious, they hold their integrity, um, but they're craveable. Therefore, uh, people come come back for them, um, and and that people's relationship with food is is shifting to one that's positive, so that we we come back to the table, we come back to that sense of community that, that food um, facilitates. I, mm-hmm. I love that because I, I grew up in a family where we always sat down to a well-thought-out meal uh, at the end of the day. And, you know, it's where you hammer out the day's news or drama or celebrations or whatever. So I think food has a an important role to play in, in our communities, especially now when they're a little bit divided. Right. It, it's an exciting time to be in the food space because it's more than just nourishing the body it's it's right. nourishing the, the soul
0: are there specific ingredients or foods that you've seen in other places where you have said like oh that's interesting maybe we should take a look at that or
1: <clears throat> hmm. well we're uh we partnered last year with the uh the the crop trust and the global seed bank uh in an effort to introduce or reintroduce um some of the forgotten foods of, of the world back into the food system. So we have we have plants in in the ground now in California. Uh we're going to be doing the same thing here in uh, in New York and Pennsylvania. And right now we don't we don't know which ones will perform and which ones will be delicious, but once we identify the ones that we like, and then they'll be coming to the tables of tender greens and that that relationship that a chef can have with not just the farmers but even You know a global organization like uh, food forever or 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 the or the or the seed vault uh is really quite exciting
0: so what are some i'm so intrigued now like what are some of the forgotten foods and it's always so interesting how like you know kale explodes and then spinach there are definitely these macro trends but like what are some foods that are forgotten
1: well oftentimes uh you know we know them as heirlooms right so um in in other cases they are uh, there there ingredients that have been overlooked over time because they weren't um, you know they 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 either they were hard to commercialize or they dropped out of favor um, and our farmers are working with uh, the the curators at at these uh, seed banks here in the, U- the US with uh you know with with the full support of the USDA um to to really understand uh, what's out there, because these are small amounts of, of seeds, and it's all it's all listed, you know, by its scientific name. Right. So, in, in many cases, we don't know what we have yet, <laughs> because there's not a brand name attached to them. So these are these are
0: truly, um, truly forgotten. Like dinosaurs, like like extinct. We don't know.
1: In some cases, uh, the seeds that we have access to may. Uh, represent only a handful of uh, seeds that have been saved um, that until now have only been made available
0: for for academics and wow. uh, and and seed breeders. So when are we going to start to know like what some names and what these things? <laughs> um,
1: we should uh, we should have something to at least talk about um, in the next uh, you know month or so in California. Wow. And then from that we'll produce more seeds and plant, you know, a, a larger amount and, and hopefully by early summer we'll have something to, to
0: taste. That's fascinating. So does this sort of fit into what's happening right now with regenerative agriculture or something totally different?
1: It does. It, it, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's part of that conversation. So the, uh, the mission of the, of the crop trust is to promote uh, uh, crop diversity and biodiversity uh, on the planet, so that you know we're not just focusing on the the four or five commodity crops <laughs> that feed the world. But um, you know, this is a this is an opportunity to to diversify one our our meal and also our food identity. You know, it, there's a, there's a lot we can learn about ourselves and our culture through through food and the history
0: of food. So you mentioned community. Previously, what does that mean to you in Tender Greens?
1: Well, I, th- you know, there's the the community culture that we build internally with our team. Um, you know, the other why for Tender Greens was that we wanted to build a company that uh, we would want to work for. Um, beyond that, you know, Tender Greens like an like an individual. Uh, it's important that we align with other partners, um, other people, other companies that, uh, um, you know, fit our value system. And then with, you know, with profitability and growth and, and, uh, and, and, uh, sort of brand equity, um, we look around the world and we look around our communities and see where we might be able to help out. Um, so, you know, I think for, for us, food is the access point. Food is the agent of change. Mm-hmm. And then we, um, we try and show up as, as a good member of the community, not just individually, but as, as a brand.
0: So wellness has come so far, sp- specifically food. And, and you guys have definitely played a role in that. Where do you think, if we've made so much progress, what are areas that we as a community, the wellness community, and entrepreneurs and food, like, where do you think we still have work to do?
1: Well, I, th- I think uh, food transparency is a big issue. Uh, there are a lot of um, terms, food terms out there that um, mislead the public. Um, so I'd like to, you know, I, I would love a day when uh, there's like a Wikipedia of food that mm-hmm. we all agree on what local means or organic. And there are five different definitions of organic sure. in the United mm-hmm. States. Um, the other, the other thing is food as medicine. Um but with a uh with an approach to you know holistic nourishment, meaning it's not just the the vitamins and minerals and antioxidants that something carries, but it's it's the experience um, mm-hmm. of food it's the the importance of getting to know your your neighbor your farmer um the source of your food and uh, I think it's there's, there's more to it than just, you know, how, how healthy, you know, the kale is. Right. Um, but I think it's a ceremony and the ritual of, of sitting down together at the table and, and, uh, and sharing something.
0: So what do you think is a fad? What do you look at and say like, eh, that'll be, that's int- You know, that'll be gone in a year or two. It doesn't have staying power.
1: You know, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, from the very beginning, I thought, um, pressed juice was <laughs> something that, um, extracted too much of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think that there's, there's a, there's a place for it, but it's not, uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a, well, there's I,
0: been a little bit of a quote unquote market correction yeah. in that. Like, I feel like there was dozens of juice, like, so uh, there's, you there's been a little, little bit of correction to say yeah, the least. There's yeah. still, there's still a demand for it, need for it, but there was just way too much supply and way too many brick and mortar locations. Yeah,
1: and I, I mean, I, I think yeah, there is a role for it. I walked in here with a juice I from know. juice press, um,
0: <laughs> and not as crowded as I bet it was a couple of years ago. No, but, yeah. and you know
1: this idea of um, you know a five day cleanse with juice. I, again, I think there's a role, but we have to be careful n- not to get caught up in these silver. Food bullets. Sure. And I think that's where, uh, trends tend to get out of e- even kale. You know, there's, there have been some health problems with kale because people overdo it. They have a kale smoothie and they have a kale salad and they eat kale chips and it's too much kale.
0: So it is possible to have too much kale. It is. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have to do, you have to eat a anything. lot of fucking kale for <laughs> that to happen, but I'm sure someone, yeah. I always say like, for the most part, if you eat a lot of greens, you're, you're fine, but I, I, I could definitely see in your neck of the woods of people maybe over to it.
1: Yeah. Venice, California is a little. Yeah. Kale centric. Yeah. Abbott, Kinney, the yeah.
0: epicenter of it. It's like a cliche. I love it, but it's a little too much sometimes. Um, so someone I mentioned earlier, Danny Meyer, who is, you know, an icon here in New York in terms of fine dining and then catering and shake shack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a guy, a guy is known for building great brands and food and, and restaurants, at, you know, at scale, but, but not a guy who's known for health, but you guys met and he's become an investor in Tender Greens and, yeah. and talked about, talk about, about Danny and, and how that's worked for you guys. And
1: well, it, you know, I, I think, uh, Danny's a healthy guy and, uh, what he, I think admired about us was our culture, our people, and then our approach to food. And one of the best compliments Danny ever made was, and this was over food, I think he was he was digging into our fried chicken and, and, clo- and kind of closed his eyes and said, you know, I can close my eyes and imagine being in any one of my, my restaurants. And and that was the ultimate compliment sure. because you know our our goal has always been to deliver the same quality food that you might get at Union Square Cafe or or, or Graf, uh, Gramercy Tavern, mm-hmm. just at a price point that is daily, not you know not on a, uh, a business account or a special occasion. So that that was the ultimate compliment, and you know for Danny to to make that investment through his company it was the first time he he did that you know um, on the company's behalf was uh, was a big deal
0: i'm curious like part of it i'm assuming he sees the trends the future this is people want healthier options people want plant-based you know he's i always, always love to quote michael pollan here eat food not too much mostly plants mm-hmm. like that's the future it's the way you should be eating and yep. in many ways that's your philosophy you know what do you think like when you talk to him and and he's a genius in that respect and talk about the future. Like, where do you guys, where do you, and I'm curious if, and and you can't speak for him, but Mm -hmm. maybe in conversations, like, where do you think the future of food is and restaurants and where, 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 what people want, where things are going?
1: You know, I, I think where we would align is that people still want good, craveable, relatable food. Um, so whatever that means to you, if that's a, a roadside, you know, burger, uh, shack burger, then just do the best version of that with the best ingredients. If it's a, you know, perfectly roasted chicken with crispy skin and indulgent mashed potatoes that have butter and creme fraiche and, and, and cream in it, um, then, you know, do the best possible version of that so that there's real payoff and, mm-hmm. and then balance it out with, uh, yeah, a kale salad or some, you know, beautiful asparagus this time of year. Um, and you know the Michael Pollan quote is is it, it really captures our I think our approach to food and I think Danny's approach to food, which is um, you know lead with plants that are delicious and in season and from farmers that you know and, and and love, and then you know it's okay to to use animal protein, just cook it brilliantly and make sure that the animal had only one bad day, and and don't put too much of it on the plate. And people will always come back to the familiar. And if you execute, if you make a perfectly roasted chicken, it never goes out of style. Right. So whatever the trend is, people will always come back to the familiar.
0: So do you think that is, like, what do you think we're going to be talking about in a year from now or three years from now?
1: Uh, I think we will be talking about two things. One, you know, this ongoing trend of, you know, plant forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, diets, as you know, whether it's environmental impact or or health and wellness, or just you know newfound love affair with with plants, because now chefs are really breaking out with creative ways of uh, of cooking with with plants. And then you know there will always be a baseline conversation around comfort mm-hmm. and uh, and what that means to, to people and and the best version of that comfort food.
0: So you're in between L.A. and New York. What are some of your favorite places to go when you, you know, maybe you want to splurge or get inspired or want something quick? Like where does, I'm always curious where like the chefs themselves and the foodies go.
1: You know, here in New York, um, I mean, I was. Besides live in, Tender Green, obviously. <laughs> that's right. Uh, the, the place that I've been going back to pretty regularly on the weekends is, uh, Westbourne. Uh, it's a little cafe, um, Westbourne. Westbourne. It's in Soho. Just opened maybe two months ago. And uh, the owner's name is uh, Camilla, and she came out of Danny's camp, um, grew up in L.A., and her approach to food is very much in line with how I eat, uh, really super fresh, uncomplicated, but moments of surprise. And and I just, uh, you know, it, it captures the lifestyle that i i live and in the sensibilities of food that i that i embrace and and i've i've said a few times that she's sort of the squirrel of of <laughs> soho right now and uh squirrel I, I, the favorite and, yeah, and silver lake yeah you know, yeah like- without uh insane lines
0: what about in L.A.? Is squirrel, is squirrel on your list? I live in Venice, so I, so I don't drive that crossing, far. Yeah. yeah, no way, not happening. Um,
1: I really lo- love what Travis Lett does with uh, Jelena and Justa. Yep, Evan Funky of Felix, uh, also on Abbot a block from where I, I live in, in Venice, is doing probably the best Italian food in in the U.S. Um, and then uh, you know Bestia downtown is is another one that I just. Love if I, if I want to journey outside of, uh, the west side.
0: So you mentioned lifestyle earlier and obviously food plays a large role, but what are some of the other things you do to help you maintain balance for whatever that looks like in your wellness routine? Yeah, I was
1: an athlete growing up and before I came here, I was over at Equinox working out. (laughs) So, uh, you know, daily, um, fitness is important to me. And then for the last 30 years, I've been practicing TM, transcendental meditation. So I haven't missed a day of meditation in thirty years. Wow. And that's uh that's been a a long, long um practice of mine and it's really interesting now to see meditation and mindfulness uh, creeping into pop culture. You know, it's uh it's exciting.
0: So what has you excited every morning? And on the flip side, what keeps you up at night that worries you?
1: What uh, gets me out of bed is the potential of food to change uh, the broader narrative in uh, in our country and then ultimately in the world. Food touches everything that's in crisis right now, whether it's climate change, whether it's um, obesity rates, health and wellness, or even bringing folks who otherwise would be, you know, on the opposite ends of a conversation and, and unwilling to get together and, and find peace in the middle. I think food can... Can be that conduit can can sort of fills, facilitate those differences and, and bring people together. What keeps me up at night? Uh, what mostly keeps me up at night is as we grow, never to lose center, never to compromise values, never to lose touch with the culture we've we built. Um, instead, to, to to nurture it and uh, cultivate culture both intern in, internally at Tender Greens and then how we show up in the world so that we're, um, you know, for our employees uh, that they become better humans as a result of having spent time with us, if we can gift them with that, not just uh, with with uh, professional skills but with life skills. And then, you know, as we look out um, beyond Tender Greens uh, that, you know, the world's a better place because we're part of it.
0: I love that. So, last question: If you could go back in time and give yourself give yourself advice in your twenties, what advice would that be? Uh,
1: in my twenties, uh, I would <laughs> I prob- probably would have um, jumped in sooner. I would have uh, I would have taken the risk uh, as an entrepreneur a little faster, even though you know I, I didn't have the resources and you know had a lot to learn. There's something about getting in early. Uh, So I would have loved to have um, experienced what I did in my 30s and my 20s. I love
0: it. Eric, thank you so much. Everyone, thanks for listening. Check out Tender Greens, one of my favorite places to eat. They're doing great work, great food, at a great price. That's right. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me.